pleasure to bring you God's Word today from Genesis chapter 28. If you'd like to follow along other than the screen, get out your phone maybe, since we haven't yet put the paper Bibles back in the pew, and go to your Bible app and find Genesis 28. It's a beautiful, wonderful story that we get to only see a glimpse of part of it today, and it teaches us about God's grace in a very memorable, poignant way by watching the life of one of the three patriarchs. Maybe, maybe some of you didn't know that the Bible talks about the three patriarchs. But if you do, here they are. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are patriarchs, fathers of the beginnings. They're all found in the book of Genesis. Genesis means the beginnings. And this is the beginning of time and the beginning of the story of the Bible, which is a grand story of God's faithful love. It is the foundation. The book, Genesis, and the stories are the foundation of our Christian faith. So it's always healthy and good for us to go back to them and learn from them and rebuild for ourselves in a crazy mixed up world and your crazy mixed up hearts to rebuild for ourselves a, a constant faith in the God who is constantly in love with us. So we go to this story where Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, is living out his life in the family of his father, Isaac. His mother's name is Rebekah, and his brother's name is Esau. Remember, they were twin brothers. The story gets started for Jacob's life where Rebekah is pregnant with two boys, in her womb, of course, they didn't have ultrasound. She doesn't know it. She, about the time you start to hear, feel, a woman would start to feel babies, their baby move. She feels a torrent in her, her abdomen. And she, she knows she's pregnant, but she doesn't know she's got twin boys in there. And it says in the Bible, she goes to inquire of the Lord. Which means she went to a priest and a prophet who had a connection to God and could give her an oracle from God about what was going on in here. And she goes to him, pays a fee, and he prays to the Lord. And he says, thus says the Lord, there are two nations in your womb that are already uh, tussling. They're already wrestling with each other. There are two boys there. And the one, the one you know, they come out one at a time. And in birth order was hugely important for the way that all of these families looked at life. And it was really divinely appointed that the oldest would get a, a birthright that was twice as the youngest. That means at the end of his father's life, he get twice the inheritance and he would be the new leader of the family. And in this case, the oracle said, but in your case, the first one born won't get that. The younger one will get it. All customs notwithstanding. When the babies were born, Esau came out first, but he didn't come out alone. And then there was a gap of time. His brother, because they were wrestlers, was hanging on to his heel. So as Esau comes out, out comes Jacob too. So if you tried to put it on the, the birth certificate, it'd be like one second apart. Well, they grew up, Esau was his father's favorite. He, his dad liked the outdoors. Esau loved the outdoors and he was a hunter and he was, he was Isaac's favorite. Rebecca favored Jacob, who was a man of the tents. He, he was quieter and more at home. And Isaac wanted to give 
the birthright and the blessing to Esau. Halfway through his growing up years, though, Esau came in from hunting, was famished, and he despised his birthright so much that he wanted just for a, a bowl of lentil stew, he, he sold his birthright to Jacob. Of course, Jacob was the one that initiated the idea, being the heel grabber, that's what Jacob means, which actually transferred means deceiver. He tricks Esau into give, selling him his birthright that way, and Esau started to hate his brother. We get to the very end of their family life together. These men are young men are grown men. And, and Isaac was quite a bit older than Rebekah. And Isaac's eyes are weak. He's blind. And he wants to give, there's a birthright and a blessing. He wants to give the patriarchal blessing to Esau. But what had God told Rebekah through the oracle? It goes, it goes to Jacob, right? So instead of appealing to her husband and talking about it over dinner, she decides that she will lead Jacob to deceive Isaac and pretend that he is Esau and he would get, J get Esau's blessing. And I'm going to reduce the, you know, get going here. He steals Esau's blessing that Isaac wanted to give him by faking like he was his brother Esau and, and putting goat skin on his neck and his hand at his mother's instruction and gives his dad a wild game feast stew that he thought was Esau's and Isaac, Father Isaac, gives Jacob the blessing he was supposed to, in his mind, heart, give to Esau. When Esau gets home and makes a stew only hours after Jacob, and he brings it to his dad, his dad trembles, realizing he'd been deceived in Esau's seed. And he started, this is a rich family. He starts telling the servants, my dad's going to die soon and we'll go through a time of mourning, but once we're done mourning, I'm going to kill my brother." And the servants told Rebekah. And Rebekah said to Jacob, you got to run. Your brother's going to kill you. Go to where, Rebekah says, go to where my brother lives, which is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. By yourself. He's got to go. Travel many days and nights in the wild. This guy that loves to be around the tents and doesn't love the outdoors and isn't really well trained at it. Run. He goes and tells Isaac, let's send Jacob away to find a wife up there from Haran. And Isaac says, sounds like a good idea before he leaves. Of course, Isaac obeys the blessing that God let him be deceived about. And he doubly blesses Jacob again and sends him on his way. And the first day he traveled about 12 miles. And he gets to a place that he, he later in the story that I'm going to read to you calls it Bethel, the house of God. And there the man of the tents is in the open air. And he lays down and his pillow is a rock. And he's scared and he's uncomfortable. And he also, it doesn't say it, but he also probably has some guilt, right? He, was, he had appealed to his mom when she said, let's deceive your father. He appealed to him and said, that would be wrong. And I could end up getting cursed if dad figures it out before he blesses me. He knew it was wrong. Now his family is ruined. The mother that favors him, he'll never see her again alive. He doesn't know that, but she's going to die while he's gone. He was gone for 20 years. This is the beginning of it. And when it, when, Now you think about your own life and some of the big mistakes, big sins you've made. And think about how you've ruined something or somebody you know and love has done that. 
someone in your family, you think about the social and family guilt. You know, families don't forgive as well as God does. We can be thankful that He forgives more. Because if we forgave more than God did, we'd all be in trouble. Because we like to practice justice. And families have long memories like Esau. So you be thinking about your life. Think about the stinker. You're a stinker, but you may be thinking of someone you typically in your family think is a greater stinker. That's Jacob. Heel grabber. Sibling rivalry. Deceives his brother out of the birthright. Steals the blessing. And God comes. He chases him. But it's not to punish him. This is what's fascinating about the story. You'd think that there'd be like some punishment first. Or a scolding, right? In Texas we'd say, dress him down a little bit. But in this story, he doesn't. Here it comes. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left home, Beersheba, and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, 12 miles away, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord. That's the all cap letters. It's Yahweh or Jehovah. I am Jehovah, the God of your father Abraham, which is actually his grandfather, and the God of Isaac, which is his father. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, meaning many in number. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised for you. Think about it. Doesn't that just kind of blow your mind about what God didn't say? Jacob, this could have worked out so much differently. So, but you made a mess out of it. Now you're going to be gone for 20 years and your mother's going to die. You're never going to see her again on earth. He didn't say any of that. Although I, I just described what's really happening, right? Many times the way the Lord disciplines is by letting you have the natural consequences of your actions. But when he disciplines, it's not just punishment. God is a redeemer God. He's there to save Jacob. But he's also there. I'm pausing so you'll listen. He's there to save humanity. You've got to step back from the Bible to really understand it. You can't just look myopically at one little passage. You have to get the big picture. In Genesis chapter 12, this is chapter 28, God chose Abraham and said, I'm going to bless your family, and from your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And you heard God say it here in this little paragraph. He said it to Jacob. He repeated that same promise to Isaac in the many different crazy situations that we see Isaac. When we read between chapter 12 and 28, so he said it to Abraham, he said it to Isaac, and now you've got this stinker in the family, 
that just about made a mess of the whole thing, almost got himself killed by his brother, and God comes to him and he goes, we're still on track. You know why? Because I'm God. And I can, I can work with your mess and still fulfill my plan. We're still on track. You're still a patriarch. It was promised in the oracle that you would be the guy. All of your deception notwithstanding, we're still on track. I will bless all the nations through you. Someday your family, and your, your generations are going to inherit this. Remember Jacob later wrestles with God when he comes to see Esau and he gets renamed Israel. And he's got 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, which ultimately with, under Moses, they inhabit the land, right? They get that land. All this came true. But what came true more importantly for you and me is that we are the nations which were blessed through God keeping his promises for that stinker by opening the gates of heaven for him and for us and fulfilling his plan. I don't know when you first heard about Jacob's Ladder. I, I did when they were doing yo-yo tricks back then when I was a little boy. And you could do something with the string and end up with just the yo-yo and then you got Jacob's Ladder. I've also seen people do it with just string in their hand. Then you have to like, what's the story about? Well, this is the story. The Hebrew word could be ladder or stairway. I kind of like to think of it as a ladder them going up and down a ladder. But it's, it's a really important picture about providential grace. Providential means God plans it as part of His providence irrespective of what people's decisions are. God's got angels to guard His people. His people are sinners, just like you see it in Jacob. So are you and me. But in grace, He still has angels and they're they're going up and down. You can look at Psalm 103, Psalm 104. They're going up and down this ladder, go from heaven to earth. And at the top of the ladder, dictating all things, is Jehovah, the, the only true and living God. And so here you are feeling all alone out in the woods, kid of the tents, used to being around his mama and people. And you're not alone. You've got my angels and we will protect you. And they're going to go up and down and do my bidding all behind the scenes all the time. And you might think, and I might think, there's certain things I've done in my life that have kept God from, you know, that would keep God from protecting me, right? And if something bad happens, you'll kind of think, well, maybe now he's finally going to get even with me, right? The grace of God is not so fickle. It's not like the grace in a family, a sinful family. It's bigger than that and better than that. He has a plan. He brought you into His kingdom through faith in His Son. You're one of His children. He opens the gate of heaven, and the heaven is still open, and angels are still looking out for you. He just wants, and He reveals that to you over and over again, so you'll come to repentance. And it's the kindness, Romans 2, it's the kindness of God that brings you to repentance, not just the law. And so He comes and He says, I'm still your God, Jacob, and to the Jacob in your heart, He says that. Now, the only reference to Jacob's ladder in the rest of the Bible is in what we read a few minutes ago in John chapter 1. The only reference. But what a beautiful reference it is. It's a reference from the, word, the mouth of Jesus himself when he was talking to a man who meditated on Scripture a lot. He went to church a lot, Nathaniel. And Jesus chose him to be one of his apostles. But he didn't choose Nathaniel. See, Nathaniel was one of these guys that tried really hard at faith. Not everybody does. 
And he didn't just choose Nathanael because he tried really hard at faith because he references this story of Jacob's ladder and Jacob was a stinker, see? And so he refers back, he goes, he, goes, you, 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 he, go, uh, he gets told by Philip, we found Jesus of Nazareth, we think he's the Messiah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The one thing about people that try really hard at faith and religion is they are quick to judge. And we all are. But we're quick to judge what we think is where the conventional places where goodness and righteousness comes from, right? And so, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus like, eh, he's got a little self-righteous streak to him. And he says, uh, I saw you under the tree when you were meditating. Whoa, you mean you weren't even here and you saw me? You are the God of Israel. And he goes, you think that was awesome that I told you that I saw you? You'll see greater things than this. And then he mentions a story, undoubtedly, that Nathaniel's been meditating on about Jacob. And so, for Nathan, remember I said, if you really want to know the Bible, you've got to step back. Nathaniel's a guy that steps back. So Nathaniel had all that in mind. And he says, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I am the grace link between heaven and earth. Not, not your righteousness. You stay on the ground, stinker, Nathaniel. I send angels up and down. You cannot fight your way up to heaven and get in my presence with your own righteousness. No, you're going to see him going up and down on me, the Son of Man. I'm the fulfillment of the allusion to salvation that was given to Jacob. And in the very picture where the ladder is and the angels are going up and down is this great quote, all the nations on the earth will be blessed through me, even Nazareth, up in Galilee, land of the Gentiles. See? See how that all kind of comes together for the meditative Christian as you meditate on these things? Look at the grand plan of God's grace. I'm going to take care of you and all these things. Now, Jacob did not have the benefit that you have. Some of you are tracking pretty well with me. Others are struggling. Others are right, are, are, are maybe feeling left behind because I'm just throwing all this at you. With a, but the more you know the Scriptures, the more you're going to grow into understanding how constant and providential and dependable is the grace of God for all of humanity as it shows up in the stories of the Bible and their stories for you. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, we, these stories are written so that you might have encouragement and hope in your other, otherwise difficult life. So we meditate on this and we get hope. The hope that we are just as forgiven as Jacob. And even though our piety is flawed, even though we know that, that, that all of us know somewhere where we've been deceptive. Some really, you know, like Jacob, have, have, have made it a practice. We know that God, we can still come home to God's grace because his plan is to redeem all people and we're one of all people. And we're so forgiven and so loved. It brings peace and faith to know that God loves stinkers and opens the way to heaven through his son who is the stairway, and it's not dependent upon our righteousness. Which of the sons would you choose to make the next patriarch? Based on righteousness, it would always be neither. Based on grace and sovereignty, then it's God's choice. And throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, he says, in my sovereignty and grace, I chose Jacob as a testimony of how gracious I am. And he chose you. 
of all people on the planet to know the good news that Jesus Christ is the bridge by taking your sins away on the cross and you are redeemed and it's always there for you no matter what your week has been like. You come up and take the Lord's Supper in the body and blood of Christ. You hear the gospel at your church and you come back to God. Now, we're not done yet, but you'll be, I think you'll be glad we're not. Now Jacob starts to talk. And as we say in Texas, bless his heart, he does his best. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the true about us too. Uh, let's just let's hear what he says. Verse 16. I mean, yeah, verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. This is how you set apart or consecrate something in Old Testament. You anoint it. You anoint priests, kings, and sometimes objects to set them apart for holy purposes. He called that place Bethel. El is God, Beth is house, house of God. He called that place Bethel, though the city close by used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Bless his heart. He's worshiping. I'll just say it as a pastor, clumsy as it is, he's worshiping. Let me show you why I say that. What did God just say to Jacob? in the vision. He said, I will be with you where? Wherever you go. You're, you're running around deceiving your brother, trying to get the blessing like it all depends on you. I already had this all planned. You know, your mother got an oracle. I was going to make sure you got the blessing. I'm really running this show here, deceiver. You're not running this show. And I'm a gracious God and I got you. And I will be with you. By grace, I will be with you wherever you go. I'm everywhere. I'm going to be in Haran. I'm going to be any step along the way. And after God says, I'm going to be with you everywhere and I'm everywhere you go, what does Jacob say? God is in this place. And I didn't know it. This is an awesome place. This is what humans do. We, we get an experience at a certain place and then we make a shrine out of it. This is Peter on Mount Transfiguration. Shall we build shrines up here? No, listen to him. Right? He's going to send his spirit and go with you wherever you go. God is God everywhere. We're not going to build a shrine on a mountain. Now, I'm not saying Bethel is bad. God uses all these things. But I am saying thinking that God is in a certain place and not in others is small. Maybe not bad, but small. And so says the grandma to the little child running up and down the church aisles, not in the house of God. Well, it is dedicated space. We do want to respect it. 
But God is not housed in this building any more than he's housed out in that world. And to think that it's just in one place is too small. And that can make you feel like when you're out there in the world this week that you're kind of out on your own. But when you come in here, well, then you drew near to God and you're in God and you're really close to him. No, you're, he's always close to you. He's always following his plan. He's always taking care of you. But praise God that Jacob realizes that God is with him at all. That's what's so beautiful. Now he has purpose and meaning. You know, when you sin big and you start running, you start thinking, maybe I'll, there's no way back for me. I've had people sit in my study and tell me how they trashed their lives after they sinned big because they thought, well, it's already trashed now. I'll just go ahead and keep. Whoa. If God goes with you and he keeps forgiving you, you're constantly being restored. To the next decision you make is the best, most important decision you'll ever make. You don't live in that immediate past or great past and that mean way back there past just because there was some great sin. You let it be covered by the snow of God's grace. Though our sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And you walk above all the darkness below the snow of God's grace. And you live in the grace of God. He goes with you wherever you go. It's okay, Jacob, to think that God is right there only in that place because you're helping us know every time we see the rock that this thing happened, but really God is everywhere. And then there's this thing at the end. If, you will, if, you'll got, if you'll protect me and bring me safely back to my family, then you'll be my God. Well, like you're equal to him and you're going to make a deal? Come on. But that's the remnants of Adam and Eve when we stood at the tree and decided we could be wise in our own eyes and be in charge of our lives. Even when God appears to us, we still sometimes act like we are on equal footing with him. But at least he's trusting in God's grace, even though he's got a little bit of that equality still in his heart. But maybe we should learn from his mistakes and not pray the way that he does. If you'll do this, God, then I'll do this. Who are we? When he just told us he'd be with us graciously wherever we go to make a deal like that. It was a common theme in Old Testament saints to give a tenth as an honor to God for what he gave you. His grandfather, Abraham, gave it to the king of Salem, Melchizedek. Remember, he gave a tenth to that priest king. And now he's, he's uh, Jacob in true form, true cultural form says, I will give a tenth. That was much more than any worldling, any pagan would do. There's a lot of pagans that don't ever give any money at church today, right? Because they think all the church wants is your money instead of, oh, I get to support the great gospel message. God be praised that we set aside any amount of money at all. But lest we think that the tenth is, is the great sign of faith, it's actually, according to the New Testament, 100%. Romans 12, we give our bodies and our lives as a living sacrifice to God for all the grace and mercy that he's given us. We dedicate ourselves completely. Now that may mean in, in the context of doing that, some goes to our family, some goes to taxes, some goes to church, some goes to help less fortunate. But all of it is God's. I'm just a steward of it. So maybe if we wanted to help Jacob, because we want to help ourselves, Jacob's fine. He's perfectly righteous in heaven right now. But if we want to help Jacob in this story, we'd say, 
upon God's appearance and he wakes up the next morning, he says, Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace for promising to go with me wherever I go. I now dedicate the entire trip and my entire life to you because I am yours and you are mine. What does that mean, Lord? You show me along the way what you want me to give to this or that and divvy up, but all of me is yours. But in that, my friends, is the true purpose for living. Circumstances can't take away that attitude, nor can they give it. Only God, when He reveals that He is your Savior God, He's their maker, redeemer, and He's going to watch over your life until the day He brings you into heaven. When you learn that gospel by His Holy Spirit, the fruit of faith is that you start dedicating your entire life to Him. And if it's in serving at your job or your your family or your church or your friend or your spouse or your kids, it's all just, I'm giving my whole self integer, a living sacrifice to God who has revealed this great news to me. Now you don't stink so much. You may have a little spiritual body odor here and there, but you have gospel to cover that too. You're beautiful. You don't smell so much. He saves the sinners so that they are a peaceful, wonderful aroma to God. Not perfect, but forgiven. God grant that we learn from God and Jacob that grace is real, that God chases us down not to punish us, but to restore us, and that a life lived in total service is a life with purpose and meaning. Let's do that with joy. Amen.